Hello and welcome. It's Paul Thompson, and we're back this week with the Northeast Newscast. In this edition, we talk with Manny Abarca, a historic Northeast political activist and a former Democratic candidate in the District 19 House of Representative race in 2016. Manny was generous enough to sit down with me over coffee to discuss a variety of topics, including his history of historic preservation work in the Northeast and how that issue continues to be ripe for opportunity in the area, the midpoint of the current city council four-year term, and the lingering ramifications of low turnout in the 2015 Kansas City election, his impression of the council's work so far, as well as of current mayor Sly James, his own defeat in the 2016 District 19 race to Ingrid Burnett, which consisted of a mere 19-vote margin, when and how he might get into politics again, and finally, Manny commented on the violent crime surge in Kansas City. Without further belaboring the point, here's my conversation with Manny Abarca. I'm out here with Manny Abarca. Beautiful day. So we're, we're meeting outside <laughs> in the neighborhoods here in the historic Northeast. I appreciate you making the time. Absolutely. Obviously, you're a man of many talents and passions. <laughs> I wrote that in my notes here. I don't proclaim to know them all. So can you maybe start by giving us a quick rundown of the organizations you're affiliated with? Oh, boy. Um, so probably the one that's uh, most near and dear to my heart is the Indian Mountain Neighborhood Association. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's where I live. Uh, and so that one kind of is, is the closest. It takes up a lot of time. Um, on the board of the Northeast Chamber of Commerce, uh, on the board of Rediscover uh, uh, Clinic, on the board of Historic Kansas City, um, on the board of Goodwill, uh, Western Missouri and Eastern Kansas, uh, I think, uh, I think oh, on the board of Goodwill um, Charter School Systems. Uh, so that's probably enough, I'd say. How do you find time for it all? Um, you know, it's a balance. Um, I enjoy the things that I do, and so uh, it's not hard for me to spend my time there. Um, you know, I, I particularly love the neighborhood stuff, and uh, the school uh, school board is, is one of my favorite things that I think uh, I'm doing so far. So it's uh, it's very rewarding for me to donate my time that and see the, the reaping of those rewards when the students graduate. And likewise, when we see the vacant house that we're sitting at filled with an occupant who's uh, going to live here forever. So... Uh, you know, it's, it's those kinds of things that keep me going. So. Yeah, and he's not joking there. We are sitting on the stoop of a vacant house. So we're really uh, men of the people today for this yeah. pod. I appreciate you taking the time. Um, did you want to mention uh, your 9 to 5? Oh, well, sure, yeah. So I work for Congressman Emanuel Cleaver, 9 to 5. So I uh, squeaked out on my lunch break to do this interview. Wow. Well, well, we'll make it as quick and brief and sure. informative as we can for the listeners as well. Um, one of the things you mentioned is Historic Kansas City, right? Right. Working with them, um, I know you have a history with historic preservation uh, as an advocate, and it's an issue that springs up time and again in the Northeast. So I wanted to ask you, in your opinion, how do you strike the balance between pre- historic preservation and economic development? Right. I, I think that the, the community of where that project is being impacted is really the ones who strike the balance. I mean, I don't think it's it's one for a community advocate or city council necessarily to truly define um, which which one on either part of that scale. I mean, if the development is something that the community needs, I think they're naturally going to rally around that flag. Um, if it's something that is destructive to the community, they'll also rally around that flag. And so um, on some of the fights that I've been on, um, it could be argued either way, and it was argued either way. Again, it's, it's for the developer and the community to work together. Um, same with city council. Um, obviously, they're there representing us, but um, you know, it's the voice of the people that have to be uh, what rings true as to that balance and define, you know, do we need that development here in this particular neighborhood, and is it worth 
losing potentially a historic building um, to usher that development in, or is it uh, we can find another place for this development that we do want and do need in the community? So I think it's uh, again goes back to the neighbors who live here. Where do you come down on this issue of whether or not all of the historic Northeast communities need to be included in these discussions? I mean, there, for instance, you look at the Kansas City University Master Plan Development District. Right. They had struck a deal with Pendleton Heights that, that their neighborhood association was you know had come to terms with essentially. Right. Uh, you know, other other neighbors from other other well other leaders from different uh, pockets of those six neighborhoods that comprise majority of historic northeast kansas city kind of had their have had their say too on that issue so where do you stand on that when you say it's a neighborhood issue does that mean an individual neighborhood or does that mean the greater historic northeast area uh that's a good point i mean i think in the northeast uh, unlike some parts of the city we're a little bit more connective and cohesive in terms of um, neat and you know a regular meeting of, of that the different neighborhood associations within the historic Northeast mm-hmm. and so I think we're a little bit ahead of the rest of the population in Kansas City um, you know I think the Northland has a similar group that meets that coordinates in that way and I think that's a benefit I mean I think um, we open up dialogue when we include more people and granted that means varied opinions and voices um, and, and all are valuable um, but you know I, it could be argued for sure that uh, in that situation with KCU um, Pendleton Heights was the one that was most directly affected. Um, you know, and in that situation, unfortunately, the, the tool and mechanism that they use to develop has a rippling effect outside of that specific neighborhood. And so that that is a situation where I think that, um, you know, not only does that decision need to be talked about and discussed with the greater Northeast, it needs to be talked about and discussed for the greater Kansas City metropolitan area because this is a, a policy and precedent that was set um, that basically eliminates all the other planning that we've done throughout the decades and years and months um, that we've uh, that we as volunteers, uh, neighborhood leaders, have donated our time towards. And so, you know, it, it's those greater decisions. Again, you know, it doesn't specifically answer your question in this specific situation and that specific situation. It all needs to be considered. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we're talking about setting precedents um, that have a rippling effect throughout Kansas City, I think that's when not only um, the greater metropolitan area needs to be um, in that discussion, but um, most certainly the neighborhoods that are immediately surrounding it. Right. And there's some, some big developments kind of sprucing up around the avenue in particular right now, right. Independence Avenue, that is. One of them being the Paseo Gateway projects, the new housing developments for the displaced Shoto Courts residents, as well as, you know, one of the things that's a little bit farther off, but is definitely in the hopper, is the Hardesty Renaissance, yeah. which is going to expected to bring a lot of jobs, a lot of economic activity to the area. So I guess my question is this. Is gentrification inevitable? And it's used as a dirty word so often. Is it necessarily bad? Um, I think when it gets to displacing the people and the culture and the environment that is here, um, when it comes to that displacement, I'd say yes, absolutely. Uh, I think progression is natural. Uh, development is natural, and it's a positive thing for the city at large. I think we just need to be, um, as neighbors, more involved in that process of what do we want and set those, um, those priorities ourselves as opposed to letting developers come in and define that for us. You know, do we need a Trader Joe's here? Do we need a Target here in the Northeast? Um, those are conversations we need to decide, or do we like uh, the current kind of bodega style of, of markets that we have and our Price Chopper and Aldi's and such? Um, you know, that's competition we're talking about. And so it's not just development in a silo, it's, it's a community. What do we want to have as a community and what do we want to support? 
Um, you know, I think that uh, we need to define those as neighbors, as leaders, as community organizations. Otherwise, they're going to be defined for us. So, well, if from a political perspective, what can be done to make sure that citizens aren't displaced? I mean, right. is there legislation that you think? It needs to be enacted in order to make these protections or put these protections in place before all this development strikes and right. and all uh, you know all these people want to come in and move to the area. Yeah, as I mean, so many people suspect will happen. Right. I mean, I, I I oftentimes wonder going back to the KCU thing if that MPD can be used in the opposite way, right? As opposed to a developer saying, "Oh, here's our district." Can us as neighbors say, "You know what? This is our neighborhood. This is our district." Is know the 500 or however many residents mm -hmm. you know they define the narrative of what is an mpd well why don't we come back and create our own similar mpd style precedent that says you know what we're going to dictate from our neighborhood and it's going to take 500 residents and that may cause some chaos mm -hmm. um, in general but it's going to require the developer or whoever's coming back at this to engage the neighbors and i think that's that's something that's really missing is you know in the legislation process one or two or a majority of the council per se um, can define what is, um, and they they don't have to um, engage individuals anymore. And right. so, you know, the the petition process. I think the the council is considering changing that mechanism and that tool because the voting turnout is so low that it's easy to get petitions passed. Well, why don't we instead of fixing that? go and engage more voters to participate in the process. That seems like a more rational and logical thing. And yeah, it's harder, but wouldn't that be greater is to go out and engage more people to participate in the process than trying to exclude the ones who participated and who are using that process to effectively make change in the city. Um, so, you know, we need to engage more people in this process. It's interesting that you brought that up because I had written something to that effect here for, to, to ask you about. So I guess I'll just jump right into that now and we can have a, a vigorous debate about it, I suppose. Uh, I, we're at the rough midpoint of the current city council. Uh, a lot is currently on the table there, but I wanted to point out what you just did, that there were only about 34,000 votes in, in the last election, which was less than half of the previous election four years prior. Uh, that meant, as you mentioned before, only 1,700 signatures are needed for an initiative petition. That's led to a flurry of such petitions hitting city hall from a marijuana reform to minimum wage to streetcar expansion. Is that a troubling trend to you? And, and at any rate, how do you encourage greater turnout the next time through as, as you're uh, yeah. proposing there? It, it, it takes work. It takes a whole lot of work to engage voters. Um, I probably more than, than any, um, having just came off a campaign myself for state representative and losing by 19 votes, um, can tell you that we need to do a, a way better job at engaging those people and motivating them to vote, not just that one time that, that me as a potential candidate or anybody else um, needs them to participate, but every single time, because ultimately all those other people who aren't voting are voting no, mm -hmm. uh, because they're not participating in the process. And so... Or voting meh. Yeah, that's, that's yeah exactly. Bad, yeah, right? I mean, it's which inevitably is a no right. for whatever that is. And so, um, you know, the lack of a vote is just as much... Um, just as bad as you know participating and voting against whatever one um, one side is there um, so we need to whether that's door-to-door -door and literally drag people out to vote uh, we need to inspire our kids to vote um, whether that's creating these mock elections that are happening in schools I think that's great unfortunately that only happens usually during uh, presidential elections right um, kind of instilling it from the beginning um, you know you can't incentivize voting so um, we just need to do it I mean it's we need to make the connection between, listen, this vacant house that we're standing at right now, there's a neighbor who lives right there, there's a neighbor who lives right here. I can tell you because I've walked this block that neither one of them vote. Why is that? 
Um, you know, has anyone said, hey, are you registered to vote? Um, are they eligible to vote? Um, that's something else that we need to look at is, is the felon problem. Um, but, you know, again, we're, we're crossing lines of a, a council to state to federal issues. Um, people just need to own up and say that person needs to vote. That person needs to vote. Somebody needs to go and encourage them to do that. And so, um, you know, that I think I, I said that that was my next task. Uh, unfortunately, I'm, I'm probably failing at that at the moment, but uh, we'll, we'll get there soon. You know, it's a working class community. I, yeah. I, have you thought, I mean, have you put any thought to ways to get them out to vote, such as declaring, a, you know, a, a city holiday or something of right. that nature uh, for, for voting day? I mean, do you think would that actually incentivize people to go out there and vote? Or are they just going to use that to, to go play at the park? <laughs> you know? Well, um, I, I wish they'd play at the park. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I look at Martin Luther King Day, right? So um, I think for the last four years, I've hosted a cleanup day on Martin Luther King Day, my day off as, as most other people's. Um, and it, I struggled to get four or five people to show up to um, to just clean up a park that their their children use, they use, they see at least. Um, and so, you know, I don't know that a national holiday, it's as dramatic as it is, I don't know that that's going to alone solve the problem. It definitely eliminates a barrier of working. Um, but I think people need to be inspired um, to vote. And I think that they're kind of um, with the national election and, and some of the other even local elections. They feel um, disengaged, just disenchanted by the process. They don't believe that government is there to help them anymore. Um, and for one reason or another, we need to instill that because we're we're founded by government for the people, by the people, um, by the people. We need to be <laughs> participating in that process. Um, whether you, you believe in politics or you subscribe to politics or whatever, it's happening around you. And so, um, you know, if, if you're not participating, you're not in the game, the game is being played, it's being played for you. And so right. the um, further disengaged right, you exactly. are, the, the, the more people that don't have like-minded right. interests are, are making decisions on your behalf. For one reason or another. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think that that's a big thing is, you know, when I went door to door, it was sad when I got to people's door who said, you know, um, you're the first person who knocked on my door in X amount of years. And the last person, they knocked on my door and they never came back and I never saw any change. And it's that kind of stuff. That encourages them not to participate anymore. Well, uh, you, you've kind of made reference to this already when we've uh, earlier in this conversation. So I feel feel free to bring it up now. Uh, the very narrow defeat you suffered in your own run when you actually <laughs> got out there and, and had a chance to talk to some of these people and got within 19 votes of, right. of becoming a, a state representative in Missouri. How long did that take you to get over one? And could you see yourself running again? <laughs> Uh, it was probably about a, a month or so that I uh, sat there and tried to go back and reanalyze and figure out what happened. And uh, I think that's a, a common trend last year in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after that, I, I realized that, you know, my election um, in August wasn't the last election that year. And I had to get back involved. And so I jumped in pretty heavily for the presidential uh, candidate, uh, Hillary Clinton. Um, and I also um, was supportive of Jason Kander. And so we actually brought Jason Kander here to Independence Avenue and had him meet with some of the residents. And so, um, you know, I realized that it was it was uh, it's something we just have to get over and, and move on. Uh, in terms of your latter question, I guess we'll uh, we'll see. Time will tell. Huh? I mean, I've committed to at least running for a county committee man. Uh, so I guess we'll go for that. All right. See what happens and work your way up. <laughs> I guess so. Awesome. I wanted to get back to the council as well. I mentioned that we we're at about the midpoint for them yeah. uh, with the terms coming up in 2019. We've already had uh, three councilmen express interest in running and, and, and declare that they will be running for mayor in 2019. Uh, that's 3rd District Jermaine Reed, 
you got first district scott wagner he's also mayor pro tem so and and in addition to that we have uh the money i guess would, would be behind uh six district representative uh, scott taylor and that councilman out there yep so uh i guess i'll ask with, with these announcements coming up there's also going to be openings on the city council uh, what do you think needs to happen on that city council level and how, how satisfied do you feel with the job that they're doing at the midway point right um you know that's that's a lot of questions, so we'll try and take them one at a time here. I think you're going to see more people from the council announce that they're going to run for mayor, mm-hmm. um, and that's going to even create a larger opening of these open council seats. I mean, at some point in time, I'm hearing that half the council may end up going for this, mm-hmm. um, which would leave half the council vacant. Well, and keep um, in mind as well, you know, the last mayor or the current mayor, you know, Sly James, wasn't a part of the council. Right, absolutely. Yeah. So there's and, a chance that none of them get it either. Right. And, I mean, this, this is going to create uh, a huge void of... Uh, experience being on the council, um, as well as opportunity for some to to run. And so um, I I think in terms of what we should look for next is we should look for the people who are involved in the community now. Um, I hope conversations are being had with people about running um, who are, you know, advocates, who are uh, community leaders, neighborhood leaders, um, because, you know, it's great when somebody just randomly shows up because they have a new perspective of governance. Um, but I think as some of the challenges you have seen in the last uh, year, at least on, on council, is some of the new exper- uh, inexperienced um, people are having challenges with the old uh, guard of, of the council. And so, um, you know, I think that understanding of what the community truly needs, the, the uh, deep roots and neighborhood organizing is something that's important. Um, we can't just look for the shiniest, newest thing because Unfortunately, after that shine wears off, we're stuck with them for four years. Uh, and so, you know, we're going to get the natural pandering soon um, from different people showing up at our neighborhood association meetings. But we should probably look at the neighborhood association meetings now and find out if there's anyone there who's interested in running mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and start there because uh, that's the way that we truly are going to uh, have that connection um, from neighborhood leadership to uh, City Hall. Uh, and, and those who are going to understand the complexities of all these, these conversations that we're having now. So. And you've been around politics for a while, so maybe you can speak to what you think a, a winning platform will look like, or, or what do you think, what issues will resonate with, with Northeast residents? You, under, uh, you mentioned before kind of the lack of engagement, generally right. speaking. Uh, what issue is going to engage Northeast residents? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, public safety is a major, major thing. Um, I think infrastructure is another thing. Um, you know, development, um, it's naturally happening, and I don't know that we realize it. I mean, you know, Elios, where we got these coffees today, I mean, they weren't here, what, five, six years ago? Um, and so these types of natural development, we also need to recognize. Um, so those are big issues here. I think the vacant houses, the abandoned properties, um, needing to have those things not only um, demolished or re- redone, taken care of, but we need to start considering what happens 10 years from now. What do we want our community to look like? I mean, you know, from Indian Mountain Neighborhood Association, we're having a conversation now that's let's stop demolishing these old vacant houses and let's really consider do we want a vacant lot for the next 10 years or do we want someone to come in and take a greater stab at redoing these houses because it, it keeps the historic fabric here. Um, and then ultimately it fills the lot as opposed to uh, just it being a, an overgrown lot. So, um, you know, we need to, to really look at those things. And I think that's probably at least south of the river uh, major considerations. I think overall citywide, you know, we've got to talk about streetcar expansion, maybe light rail. 
Um, airports. Airports. That was that was the next thing. Um, so you know, I think those are all within the realm of, of understanding. Even geo bond, I think, because that although the bond has passed, I don't think the conversation is over about where the money's spent, right? And whether or not to screw over the Kansas City Museum. <laughs> so yeah, that's yes. going to be a tough decision for them. I yeah. guess. <laughs> I might have to cut that one. <laughs> um, well, what's your impression then of the council? I mean, do you think they're doing a good job? You know, I think they're doing a great job. Um, I'd hope that we'd slow down a little bit. I mean, I think we're taking a lot of big bites um, on many different projects, and we're not truly giving in the, the time that we need. I mean, uh, I don't I don't want to blame any specific person or persons for, um, you know, tackling the streetcar expansion, tackling Geobond, tackling KCI Airport. Um, but I think that we need to slow down a little bit and, and do a little bit more inclusive uh, conversations because what's happening is is we jump all the way out there and then when criticism comes in it's oh well we meant to do this I mean I think you know geobond you know, the PIAC hearings the the con- consultation with neighborhoods um, the community benefit agreements uh, you know I think that's what you're seeing the delay of these projects um, happening well that was an ordinance I mean like we somebody thought about that somebody thought about that a while ago and now as we're moving forward to the first stage of all these projects um we're, we're going back and realizing oh we did pass something that we need to accommodate and and you know participate in and and that's obvious i mean it's 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 almost like duh why why we're we even having this conversation why was the first phase of projects even initiated without going through that process so you've seen the same thing now with the with the airport deal. Right? you announce a, a no bid contract that's or a right. no bid agreement with burns and mac and then it's you know, you have the public hearings and people are saying, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Why aren't we putting this out to bid? Right. Okay, we will, but they're going to have right of first refusal. Absolutely. And they said, well, why should <laughs> they get right of first refusal? Oh, yeah, you're right. They Maybe we up. won't yeah. do that. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and now that's just an, another one of those things that is continuing to evolve. Right. And I think if you're a, a cynical taxpayer in Kansas City, you might say, hold on a second. Right. Uh, why are you running before you walk? Exactly. Well, interesting. And, and I guess on the same note, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, our, our mayor is in a second term, too. How will his tenure be remembered? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the mayor has, has accomplished a lot in his term um, or his time frame here, I guess. Um, and I think he plans to accomplish a lot before he's leaving, which I, I applaud. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's 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 about quality over quantity. I mean, I don't want to see all these projects um, started and initiated because we're, we're rushed to throw them together um, to, to get it before that, that his time frame lapses. Uh, I think we need to make sure that we are addressing the most important needs because it doesn't matter how far the streetcar goes. It doesn't matter how great downtown is built up. Uh, you know, if we're still having these same crime issues 10, 15 years from now, people aren't going to want to move here. If we're having these water bills that are just as high or higher um, 10 to 15 years uh, from now, I mean, people are going to live in Lee Summit. They're going to live outside of Kansas City, Missouri City limits. Um, and so, you know, we need to take all these things in consideration, probably do a little reprioritization and figure out what are our top three or four things and focus the council that way. Um, that would be my approach at least. All right. Well, well said. Uh, I think you also mentioned public safety. You brought that up two or three oh, yes. times already. H- how big of an issue that is, right. particularly for this area. Uh, you see violent crime. Right. Uh, I mean, there was a shooting outside of uh, an Independence Avenue yeah, sandwich seven. shop yeah. a, couple, you know, a few days ago. Uh, and you keep hearing more and more about it. I wanted to run some stats by you related to violent crime because right now we're, you know, we're in a search for a new police chief. Uh, we've had a, a, one of the commissioners, Alvin Brooks, resign facing the prospect of possibly being removed. In 2014, there were 82 homicides in Kansas City. 2015, there were 111. And as of June 6th, there were 34. 
As of June 6 and 2016, there were 44 and we ended with 130 homicides. In 2017, we're already at 56. Yeah. What's going on in this city? You know, I mean, I think it's a, it's a dangerous cocktail of a lot of things. Um, I think the deregulation um, of, of guns from the Missouri legislature has, plays a big part of in it in terms of just having access to all of the, this, these weapons and ammunition. Um, granted, it's not the sole reason. I mean, I, I think we have um, a community that, that probably needs uh, assistance with job placement um, to make sure that people are, you know, you can't shoot someone if you're at work um, from 9 to 5. Granted, that leaves the evening times, but, you know, we need uh, to instill in people um, at a very early age, too, that, you know, crime is not the best method of, of uh, kind of moving forward. Um, so it doesn't help that we don't have enough police officers. That's absolutely 100%. Um, you know, having more police officers to respond to crimes um, from their my, the most minute level to the greatest grave level. Um, you know, as a criminal, um, I would think that. Uh, well, let me rephrase that. I'm not a criminal. <laughs> yeah. but, um, if I were a criminal, as a hardened right, criminal, right, right, as a hardened uh, time served for criminal. Uh, no, I mean. If I was a criminal and I broke into a house and realized, well, no one even responded and I stole everything out of the house, well, naturally, I'm going to try and do something braver um, with more police officers on the street doing proactive work, engaging with um, community policing. Um, I think that we're going to see a change there. Um, but again, we don't have a police chief. We don't have leadership at the top that's permanent. And so um, when, we, when we don't focus on and placing that, um, you know, it only takes a governor to say, you know what, this new poli this police commission is done. Um, half their terms are expired. Get out of there. Let's replace them with three new commissioners and have a majority. And next thing you know, we have a police chief we don't want. Um, so we need to make a decision now. Um, that should be a city priority because we have access to it. Um, you know, I don't know what I don't know what when Governor Greitens is going to decide that this is this is what he's going to do and he's going to take control. We need that needs to be a priority for this community and for the rest of Kansas City, Missouri. Well, if you're a qualified candidate for the chief of police who, who's interested in Kansas City, uh, how concerned do you think that individual is with the, I, I don't know, you can't really call it anything else but a, a spike in crime? Right, yeah. Is that an opportunity to prove yourself or is it a, a mark against us? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely an opportunity. Granted, I'm the type of person who takes on a challenge and, and kind of goes headstrong. And I think, um, you know, some of the candidates that I know who are applying for police chief they have similar positioning, and so um, I hope that they take that on and uh, use it as an opportunity to prove to themselves and everyone else in Kansas City, Missouri, that we can solve this problem. Other cities have done it. We can do it, too. Um, there just needs to be priorities set, um, leadership from the top down of community policing, um, and they need to be um, allowed to hire more officers and get them on the streets. I mean, I think, I think Casey Nova was a good start. I think that it strained resources. Um, but I think we, there should be no reason why we couldn't have police officers in the street and Casey Nova. I mean, I'm, I, I went to college. I understand that data-driven statistics are, are important, and they, they lead the charge, or they should. Um, so I value both of those things, and I don't see why we, we can't have both. Well, we're coming up on the deadline for candidates to put their names in the ring. So I'll ask you, is there somebody that, that you looked at who you think in Kansas City right now can, um, can fill those shoes? You know, I, I, I don't want to say one way or another. I mean, I've heard the rumors of some saying they're going to apply, they're thinking about applying. Um, I know that there are people who are experienced who, who have said to me that they are applying that would be great candidates. 
Um, and so I think as long as someone who is community driven um, has the experience and credentials, um, I, I will have full confidence in that. And, and I, you know, I believe in the police commission as well. I mean, I think there's there's good people there who are going to make uh, good decisions on to who their recommendations are. Um, but I think we need to do it faster than what we're doing it, unfortunately, because it uh, time is of the essence. And it's only a matter of time before Governor Grison realizes, hey, I can pull this lever and I can get whoever I want in there um, kind of a backhanded way. Without really city input. Well, we've talked a lot about some some tough issues uh, during our conversation today, so maybe I'll end it on an optimistic <laughs> note here. So, yeah, how close is Kansas City to fulfilling its potential, and, and what do we need to do to, to kind of get over the hump? Yeah, I I, I love Kansas City. I, I fall in love every day um, that I find a new business opening or a new coffee shop that pops up somewhere that you know nowhere no other coffee shop has popped up. Um, I love the neighborhoods. I love the culture. I love the unique uh, place that Kansas City is. Um, and I think people are starting to realize that, whether it's, uh, you know, the Royals winning the World Series or, um, you know, the Sprint Center bringing Garth Brooks in or, you know, it just regionally we are the heart of the Midwest. Um, and I think people are really starting to believe that and embrace it. Um, and, you know, I think we just all need to work a little bit more uh, closely together. We're even in competition when it comes to uh, intern in terms of in the state itself with St. Louis. I mean, I know in terms of the legislature, we compete probably every day from our Kansas City delegation to our St. Louis dele delegation. We probably need to do a better job working together there. Um, we're in somewhat of competition with Kansas with the state line being so close to us. Um, we need to, to really stand up as Kansas City, Missouri residents and say, you know what, we are the heart of the Midwest here in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, us participating, engaging in the process and helping um, build our communities up from the ground up, from neighbor to neighbor, um, that's only going to make us better. Um, I mean, you can see the business community doing it. You can see um, everyone else kind of chipping in where they can. Uh, I think it's time for the neighbors to, to wake up and say, you know what, this is, this is my neighborhood. This is my block. This is my community. Um, and, and really plug into what's happening, and, and that will make the city even greater. Excellent. Hey, I appreciate your time. Thanks for yep. sitting down with me today. Gladly. And that is all for this week's edition of the Northeast Newscast. Once again, this is your host, Paul Thompson, signing off. But before I do, I want to thank Manny Abarca for joining us for a frank and honest conversation about the happenings around the Northeast community and the greater Kansas City area at large. So thank you, Manny, and thank you to the listeners for tuning in. Until next time. Paul Thompson with the Northeast Newscast.